cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray one last time. Father, be with us as we take a moment to focus on your word. We thank you that you are not a God who sits far off, that we have to guess about who you are and what you have done in the world, but you are a God who has communicated to us through special revelation, through this book, through the Bible, that we might know you. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be moving in our hearts, giving us eyes to see you clearly, that we might rejoice in all that you are for us in Jesus Christ. pray these things in his name. Amen. So we've been working through a series called the Meta Narrative, going through the, the, the scope of redemptive history that the Bible lays out. And that comes to us in four different acts of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. This is the scope of redemptive history that we see in Scripture. And we've talked about creation, uh, God being the author of it all. He has authority over it all. He is independent of of it all. He is utterly objective, outside of everything, sets the world in motion by the word of His mouth. Creation, mankind then is created. We are creatures, not the Creator. We are dependent upon Him. We need Him for everything. We are created imago Dei, the Latin phrase for in the image of God. God makes us male and female in His image and likeness. And, it does, and God creates all of this and He says it's good, right? But then we have to reconcile something that we look around and, and can tell if God made everything good, why is the world broken in the way that it is? And the world is broken, is it not? 
We learned this week very vividly through many pictures, the world is broken. Why? What has happened? The fall has occurred. Mankind has rebelled against his creator. This is what is revealed to us in the pages of Scripture, Genesis chapter 3. Mankind has rebelled, rebelled, and as a result, the world has become broken. The world has become under a curse because of its rebellion against its creator. This is the, the work outworkings of the fall. And not only is the world broken, but now humanity is broken. Every individual born, uh, uh, born on this earth is born dead in trespasses and sins. Not only do we have a horizontal problem that uh, murder happens, that accidents happen and take lives, not only do we have horizontal problems, and those are great and real and terrible, bigger than that even, we have vertical problems. We are estranged from our Creator. We are in rebellion against our Creator. We are born sinners who sin. And we need something to happen. This is, this is what is the reality of mankind born dead in trespasses and sins. And we, it, was, it went, went over just this great. It just kills all the air in the room because it is a sobering reality that we are, fallen, we are a fallen race that is estranged from our Creator. Creation, fall. The story does not end there. Thank God the story does not end there. We move now into redemption. We looked at last week Abraham, chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. God makes this promise of an offspring, a coming. This is another outworking of Genesis 3.15 that there is going to be this heir that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through this heir. This is where we left off last week with Abraham. It's ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. Spoiler alert, everything that I want to say to you is a desire to point you to Jesus Christ. <laughs> to point you to Jesus. He is the hero of this all. He is the center of this all. He is the focus point of all of this. We are looking and looking and looking and looking for Jesus Christ. To Jesus Christ. Abraham is there at, uh, propelling this bloodline of Jesus Christ. He's the one we're waiting for. Genesis 3.15, the curse of the serpent. God curses the serpent and he says that you will bruise the heel of the, of the woman's offspring, but he will bruise your head. That there's an offspring, there is a seed of the woman who is coming, who is going to crush this serpent's head. That offspring is the one we're looking for. Where is he? Where is this snake crusher? Where is this offspring of the woman? We're looking and looking and looking. Ultimately, we see this in Jesus Christ. We're, we left off with Abraham, and this week we want to talk about Moses a little bit. And uh, we're not going to watch the movie Ten Commandments, but we're going to talk about what Moses has done and who Moses ultimately points us to. We, we've got a lot to go through as far as the storyline of what's happened. Acts chapter 7, if you have a Bible there with you, gives this is the sermon of Stephen, who is the first Christian martyr. Doesn't go well for the believers of Jesus. As, as soon as Stephen, we see persecution rise up. But Stephen gives a, a, a sermon here 
to his listeners that goes through kind of the timeline of events of what's happened from Abraham to Moses. Because we skipped a big bunch of Bible there. We were in Genesis 12, and now we're in Exodus 3. So we skipped 40, 30 some, 40 chapters of Genesis. Well, what's happened that has got these Abrahamic people, what has got these people of God from where they are, we see with Abraham, a promised one coming to now multitudes imprisoned in Egypt. And I can't tell you the story any better than the Bible tells you itself. So this is the rundown of what has happened. Acts chapter 7, this is a sermon from Stephen. He says this, brothers and fathers, hear me. Verse 2 of chapter 7 in the book of Acts. So this is just the storyline. Just listen like it's a storyline. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Speaking of Israel, this is Jerusalem. This is the promised land that they're now at. Verse 5, yet he, God, gave him Abraham. God gave Abraham no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Getting a timeline here of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The patriarchs, verse 9, jealous of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob, who is still in Israel at this time, when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, and he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver, silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of promise, so you get the storyline so far, I'm just going to read an inspired account of what happened. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has these sons, the patriarchs. Joseph, through a really great story, end of Genesis, read it sometime, goes down to Egypt, starts collecting grain, famine comes along. Jacob, who becomes Israel, moves down to Egypt. Seventy-five persons in all, they move down to Egypt. But as verse 17 in chapter 7, but as the time of promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house, 
And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. That's bringing us up to speed of what's happened from Abraham to Moses. This great exile, God has promised the land. God has a people. God has said that there will be this heir coming from Abraham through which all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And they, they are there in, Egypt, or in Israel. And they have Joseph, one of the sons, they get mad at. They don't like him. Send him into slavery into Egypt. Famine comes. They all move down to Egypt. And now they all sit. All the people of God, greatly multiplied, are in Egypt under slavery and under bondage. This is what we read in the beginning of Exodus. We are looking, looking, and looking. Where is this Redeemer? At this point in the line, where the, the hope of this coming seed is dwindling smaller and smaller and smaller. Genesis has gone along looking for this promised coming one. And then now we find the people in Exodus, the people of God, through which our Redeemer, this offspring we're looking for, that we're supposed to be longing for, they are all now in prison in Egypt. Things are not looking good. Where is this Redeemer? And on the scene comes Moses. So we read this morning in our text. Moses shows up. Moses shows up. He is born a Hebrew. He's supposed to be killed, but they, they save his life. And then actually, this is where we get from the water. Moses' name means drew out of the water. He's put in the, you know, know the story of being put in the reeds and floated down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him and pulls him out of the water and takes him into her house and raises him. This is where Moses shows up. It's so easy to, at this point, what we want to talk about is not how this often goes, is how you should be like Moses. Or here's how to have faith like Moses and all of these different ways we could talk about. What we're going to talk about is the real message of who Moses is pointing us to. Moses is pointing us to someone very special. So the big idea this morning is two things. God rescues and delivers out of slavery, and God does it through substitution. God delivers out of slavery, and he does it through substitution. There's this exodus that comes out of slavery. We saw the beginning of it there with Moses, but what, it's, what, what happens if you've seen the movie and what goes on, God's people, they're in prison in Egypt, and how will they get out? How do they get out of this, this large number of people who are oppressed by Pharaoh? How will they get out? And we've got a kid's book that says it like this. It says, it isn't like God can work miraculous events. It's not like God can turn water into blood, send frogs, gnats, flies, boils, hail, locusts, and darkness all over the land. It's not like God can just do all of these, uh, these miraculous plagues to convince Pharaoh to get them to leave. But, oh wait, yeah, that's actually exactly what God does. <laughs> God sends all these plagues, all these things starts happening, these miraculous events, and this is exactly what God does. All the while, having Moses called out as a deliverer to go to Pharaoh to declare, let my people go. Famous line, right? Let my people go. Moses shows up to be this, this uh, avenue, this redeemer, this way through which the people of God are delivered from their slavery. 
This is a story about being delivered out of slavery. An important side note to, for us to connect and to understand how this relates to us. So few realize the slavery that they're in today. They're either in slavery to sinful license or sinful legalism, but they're slaves either way. People are convinced that sinful rebellion is freedom. They think that sinful rebellion against God is how you find freedom. And yet, when they march down that road, they find they are not free at all, but in fact more enslaved than ever. The person who abuses substances does not at the end of the day consider themselves a free person. They are in bondage. The person who finds their freedom through adulterous affairs at the end of the day doesn't find themselves freed, but enslaved to all sorts of promiscuous activity. We are, we are not convinced in our day and age of the slavery that we really live in as sinful people. There are those who are slaves in sinful license, and there are those who are slaves in sinful legalism, thinking that I keep all the rules, I keep my life boxed up, I go to church, I do all the right things, I'm a good person, therefore, look at me. And they are in bondage to their own works, to their own legalism, their sinful legalism, sinful legalism, but slaves either way. We are in our natural state just like the children of Israel in their position under the ruler of Egypt. We are enslaved. We are enslaved. And the question does have to hit us at some point. When will we finally cry out for deliverance? When will, when will you, when will I see our slavery for what it is and cry out for deliverance? It's one reason why showing up at, at church is so important. I know, guys, of course the pastor's going to say that because here he is. But it's one of the reasons why we value showing up on a Sunday morning. It's not for a badge. It's not like you're earning your justification. Those who come to church get justified. No, not at all. It's important because if your blinders are off to seeing your slavery, you know I need to hear some good news. The reason why we gather, the reason why I stand up here and go on and on week and after week after week after week about Jesus Christ is because we need to hear good news. We are enslaved. We are under sin. We are wrestling against our own sinfulness and against a broken world, against powers of darkness, the fighter verse talks about. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and authorities in the heavenly places. There is a battle going on. We are enslaved. We need to hear the good news. We need to hear the good news. It's why showing up, I submit to you that churches are not full these days. This is a question that came up in the progressive couples class. Why I submit to you the churches are not full these days because there is so little of the real good news of the gospel in church and also such little realization of how desperate we really are. How desperate we really are. We do not realize the slavery that we are in. We need good news. We are these people of Israel enslaved in Egypt. But enough with that. So Hebrews chapter 11 just says plainly how Moses... Um, does this work. Hebrews chapter 11 is this great faith chapter. 
says something very interesting about Moses. Let's get back to looking at Jesus. Hebrews 11, verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses is brought up in this Pharaoh's palace. He's he's given just top-notch life that you could be given at this time. And what does Moses choose to do at about age 40? He chooses to leave Pharaoh's palace, to leave the riches and luxury of Pharaoh's palace, to be identified with the people of God. He leaves this glory of Pharaoh's palace to be identified with the people of God and thus to eventually lead them into their deliverance. At this point, this is where I could really lay some more guilt trip on you. And I could go with the idea that we could, we could try to say, well, you know, you should be like Moses. Have you traded off your worldly pleasures for the glory of God? And we could really lay on a guilt trip and say, you know what, you're supposed to be like Moses. And we could do it and it would work because all of us are guilty in our, in our air-conditioned luxury of choosing so many things over glorifying God. But I won't go into that because the, the real point, the real point is that this is showing us something glorious and beautiful about Jesus Christ. This is showing us and telling us something about Jesus Christ. When it talks about Moses leaving the Pharaoh's palace, it is to point us to the reality that in Jesus Christ, he leaves his eternal palace. He leaves eternity and he leaves the throne of God to become identified with those he's going to save. This, this truth about Moses is to point us to Jesus, a people who were enslaved, a people who are in bondage under sin and death and darkness. Jesus does not, uh, Philippians 2 tells us, he does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be held on to. Jesus doesn't sit in heaven and say, no, I'm in the spot I want to be and I'm not leaving. He looses his place of richness to become identified with those he needs to save. Jesus leaves his palace to become one with those he's going to rescue. When we look at Moses, it should point us, and and his agency of deliverance, It's to point us to Jesus, who is a better deliverer. Jesus is a better deliverer than even Moses. Moses leads these people out of Egypt for sure, but Jesus is an even better deliverer. Jesus, Romans 8, 1 tells us, Jesus delivers us from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 1 through 3. We have been set free through Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The deliverance that Christ brings us is not just from a physical dwelling of Egypt into a physical promised land, though the new heavens and new earth is coming. But bigger than that, He delivers us from sin and death itself. Jesus is a better deliverer than Moses. 
Jesus is a better deliverer. He delivers us from final struggle and sorrow. A resurrection is coming. 1 Corinthians 15 couldn't be more clear on this point that Jesus resurrects... That's, I'm going to read it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 26. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is how He's a better deliverer. I'm trying to hone in on this point. Jesus is a better deliverer than Moses because He delivers us from final struggle and sorrow. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, speaking of Adam, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Jesus is a better deliverer because when we're struck with tragedy like we have locally this week, we have a deliverer who promises us that this life does not get the last say. This life does not get the final say. And all those who die in Christ will be resurrected to eternal life, will be resurrected to eternal enjoyment of God. Those who are not will be resurrected to eternal judgment. The Bible is clear. But those who are in Christ will be resurrected to eternal life. Jesus is a better deliverer because He delivers us from the condemnation that comes after this life. He delivers us from the sorrow and struggle of this world and the final struggle. And he also is a better deliverer because he delivers us from grief and strife between image bearers. All the shooting that's going on needs the gospel, needs to hear the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, talking about this dividing wall between the races of Jews and Gentiles and everyone having their own race. Ephesians 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself, speaking of Jesus, He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace. Jesus is a better deliverer because when Jesus delivers, he delivers every image bearer into one humanity in Christ. The the racial fallout that is going on in our world, the gospel speaks to it profoundly by saying, first of all, that we are all image bearers. And secondly, that in Christ, all these divisions are wiped away so that there is therefore neither barbarian or Scythian, Jew or free, Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a better deliverer. Jesus is a better deliverer. As amazing as the story of Moses leading the people out of the Exodus, and he does, I guess I didn't get through that story, but if you've maybe kind of heard this, kind of gathered, they go through the Red Sea and are delivered into the Promised Land eventually under the reign of Joshua. As great as that deliverance is, Jesus is a better deliverer. Jesus is a better deliverer also 
because he is a better Passover. Exodus 12 speaks of this Passover event. This is the tenth, the last plague in the, uh, in the deliverance of the children of Israel. It's called the Passover. Chapter 12 of Exodus says this, the, the month shall be for you a beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. If the household too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Verse 7, oh wait, then when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. That's four. And then we go on down in verse 12. God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments, for I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the Passover festival, the Passover remembrance that is done where they sacrifice this spotless lamb without blemish, put its blood on the doorpost so that everyone who is in the house is protected from the wrath and judgment of God. Passover is to be celebrated forever through the, through, through, with, in the Jewish people. This is simply another foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a better deliverer than Moses. Jesus is a better Passover Lamb. Jesus is a better Passover lamb. Hebrews 9 tells us that the blood of lambs and goats is brought into the temple is done over and over and over again, but Jesus appeared once for all to make purification for sin. Jesus is a far better Passover lamb. He doesn't sacrifice himself over and over again. He is sacrificed once for all on the cross, the shedding of his blood. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. For the redemption of his people. But not only is it done once. It's a, it's a covering that doesn't just cover over our flesh. But it's purification for the very soul of man. So, in closing. We are to be looking for this redeemer. This, he's coming. All of these things, as we talk about this scope. We're going to get to actually talking about the events that Jesus partook in. But these are all pointing us to Jesus, looking, looking, and looking. Moses is a type of a deliverer, takes people who are in bondage and leads them into liberty. Jesus is a better deliverer. This is pointing us to Christ, who delivers us out of sin and death into eternal life. The Passover event, the shedding of the blood of an innocent lamb. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he says in the book of John, the Gospel of John, he says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the better Passover lamb. He's a better deliverer. He's a better Passover lamb for his people. Who are we looking to is my question that I want to close with. We look to a thousand different things to bring us the deliverance we think we need. 
and the kind of deliverance we think we would most enjoy. The person who turns to substances finds themselves deeper enslaved. The person who turns to sinful sexual relationships, they find themselves deeper enslaved. The person who thinks they're checking off their list and enjoying their self-righteousness, they find themselves enslaved. Who delivers? Christ does. Christ delivers. Christ alone. He left his throne above to take on humanity, to fulfill the righteous laws, demands, to shed his blood, absorbing the justice of God. This is our Redeemer. He has paid it all. Sin, as the hymn says, sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Let's pray. Father, help us see you this morning. I want to lift high the name of Jesus Christ because I'm aware of my sin. I'm aware of my slavery. I'm aware of my floundering and I need a rescuer. And everyone in this room this morning needs rescue. We cannot provide what we need. We need something from outside of ourselves. And this is who we have in Jesus Christ. A better deliverer than Moses. A better Passover lamb covering over sins, washing us white as snow. God, give us eyes to see and glory in who Jesus Christ is for us this morning. As we approach the communion table, God, may we be quick to turn from sin, to turn from self-reliance, and to trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Pray these things in His name. Amen.